0: Good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of God with you today. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. This is week two of a series we're calling Luke's Diner. We want to invite you to come to the table. You know, what's fascinating about the Gospel of Luke is there are 10 tables in this Gospel that Jesus sits at. In fact, some have even called this the Gospel of Hospitality. It seems like in every chapter almost, there's either a a moment at a table or a story uh, about a moment at a table. And so we're we're taking a a stroll through uh, Luke's diner, if you will, and we're sitting down at each of these tables that Jesus sat down at to let him speak uh, into our lives, to let us know the invitation that we have from Christ to his table and what it ought to look like when people sit down at hours. Now, I, I know this has been a season uh, and still continues to be a season where lots of people are gathered around tables. You probably uh, had a, uh, an experience like that this week. I know I spoke to several people after the first service this morning talking about their Thanksgiving meal and, and everything that went into all of the preparations for this past week. And uh, so regardless of of what your holiday experience is, we're going to take this holiday season to sit down at a table with the Lord Jesus for a few moments. And as we get ready to get into this word, let me just quickly uh, just... Tag on to the announcement that you just heard a moment ago. Tonight is our tree lighting event for the community. And I just want to encourage, if you're available, I want to encourage all of you to come out and be a part of it. In fact, I want to recruit you. Uh, our, Our goal in this event is simply to just be the light and the love of Jesus to our community. Now, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that uh, we throw a few big parties uh, through the year. We have a few big events that we invite uh, everyone to come to, but we also think it's pretty important that we don't just turn out when it's our party. Uh, And so this is not our event. This is a community event, but we want you to to show up and represent the church. In fact, even if you don't serve on a team uh, on Sundays uh, and you've never worn one of those serve team lanyards before, tonight's your night. Uh, it starts at six o'clock out there at the town square. And if you come out there, I want to encourage you to stop at our our church's pop-up tent that we'll have set up out there and grab a lanyard. We've got a box full of lanyards. We would love for as many of you as possible to just be present, to represent the church. You say, well, what do I do next? Just love people. Tell them Merry Christmas. And uh, we're going to be serving co- uh, coffee out there and Uh, passing candy out to the kids, inviting folks to come and celebrate Christmas with us here. So uh, I would love for you to be a part of that. Did you find the Gospel of Luke yet? All right, Luke, we've been walking through these 10 tables. Last week, we got to three tables. So today we're gonna begin at table number four. And table number four, if you're a note taker, is a table of fellowship. Let's go to a table of fellowship for a few moments. and It's in Luke chapter 10. And the story begins in verse 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha... Open her home to him. Now, if you've never read this story before, let me just tell you something about Martha. She is the quintessential hostess. I mean, this is pre cell phone, there's no email, there's no call ahead, there's no notice in advance. Jesus just shows up in the home of Mary and uh, Martha and Lazarus, and he brings 12 friends with him. So, like, party of 16, here we come. Like, they're about to have this huge meal. And and you know what? Martha's good with it. She opens her home. I mean, way before Martha Stewart ever came on, this is OG Martha right here. This is, she can handle it. I mean, she's thinking, like, between me and, and Mary, we got this. Come on in. But the next verse says, She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the lord's feet listening to what he said i don't know what kind of conversation happened in that kitchen but i've been in a few kitchens during busy meals and i'm smart enough to know sometimes it's best to just stay out of the kitchen any any anybody with me on that like that, you have you have a strategy at the holidays and it's stay out of the kitchen Just don't get in the way. I just wonder what kind of comments Martha might have been making between her teeth when she's trying to to get everything together to to feed all of the the 15 people that have come into her house and, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. It says in verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Away from her. Now, now for all all the all the Marthas in the room, I'm treading lightly here. I'm like I know it's holiday season, and you're like, well, you wouldn't be getting anything to eat if it wasn't for Martha. Uh, I do recognize the preparations had to be made. That's what she said. It had. To be made. But I I was thinking about another conversation, not the hypothetical one that we imagine happened between Mary and Martha or even Martha and Jesus. The, The conversation I want to know more about is the one that came after Luke's first draft of his gospel came out. I want to know what Martha has to say to Luke. Like, seriously, like, you put this in the Bible? Like, come on, Luke, a personal conversation between me and Jesus, and you had to include that? You you had to have the moment where Jesus corrected me and said, you know, Mary chose the right thing. I mean, think about where this sits in the Bible. If you've got your Bible, notice what's right before this. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's like the most famous story that Jesus ever told. You know what's right after this? The Lord's Prayer. Yeah, the most famous prayer that has ever been prayed. So right between the parable of the Good Samaritan and the Lord's Prayer, Luke writes this little kitchen conversation between Mary and Martha and Jesus. And I can't help but think that Martha's going to be sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb one day, and she's still going to be side-eyeing Luke for putting this in the text Why would you put this in there? And I I can just imagine Luke saying, Martha, I had to put it in there. The Holy Spirit inspired me to write it so that every host and hostess for all kingdom come would know that who sits around the table is more important than what sits on it. And so we get invited to a table of fellowship. I hope you remembered that this past week. If you missed your opportunity at Thanksgiving, I'm sorry I couldn't preach fast enough last weekend to get to this point. But hey, here's the good news. Christmas is coming. Okay? like You're going to get another shot at this of hosting people and bringing them to your table or, or sitting at their table. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. But don't miss the one thing. Mary chose relationship. She recognized and relished the opportunity to have a personal conversation with Jesus. And and, and here's the admonition. Be present. Be present in the moment. The fellowship is more important than the food. Who sits around the table is more important than what sits on the table. And can I just give us this challenge today? All God's people, can I challenge you today? Share a meal with somebody. Listen, it's no secret. We live in such an isolated culture, such an isolated society. Day and I ate at a restaurant not too long back, and they actually offered a percentage off of your bill if you didn't pull your phone out during dinner. I was like, that's genius. Sadly, it was hard. I'll admit, it was hard, you know, especially when you feel like a notification going off in your pocket. It's like somebody just set off a firework in your pocket. Like, I gotta, I gotta know what that is. Why, why is my phone beeping? Who's trying to get a hold of me? And, and, and how many of you have gone into a restaurant and you see a bunch of people sitting and, and they're all just looking at their phones. No one's talking to each other. And now we live in the era of, of Uber Eats. I mean, like, you don't even have to, you don't have to go pick it up. It's just somebody's going to, I mean, delivery guys are the only people with a social life anymore. Like the rest of us, we just, you know, we, we park in the garage, we close the, close the door and we have the food delivered to us. And I'm poking fun a little bit, but how many of you understand it's easy for us to miss the significance of fellowship. And so Jesus invites us to a table of fellowship. And it's important because we grow as we gather. We grow as we gather. This is not we're not to be ruled by our calendar. It's not something that we just do because it's a holiday season. We ought to be ruled by the Word of God. And can I encourage you to be be intentional about fellowship? I, I had a, a, a person that came to our church a few years ago and they actually used to attend the church I grew up in. And they came to me with a heavy heart after being here several Sundays they said, I've invited people to go out to eat with me for the last four Sundays and nobody's taken me up on the offer. You remember when you were a kid, we used to go out to eat every Sunday after church. I said, I know, I, I do remember that. Man, it's different times, different times. And, and I, I recognize that not everybody can do those things all the time, but I also see that it's a reflection of our culture, that, that we are less focused on, Fellowship. And so Jesus invites us. He says, Martha, there's many things that need done, but the, the most important thing, come. Come and have fellowship. That, that's, that's why our, our ladies are, are having a, a breakfast on Saturday. You can eat on your own. We realize that, but, but it's an opportunity for fellowship. That's why the young adults are having a Christmas party in two Saturdays from now. Not that you don't have enough parties to go to. You've got your work party and your family party and your friends, but but we're creating opportunities for fellowship. Let's go to table number five quickly here. Table number five is a table of authenticity. And it's in the very next chapter, Luke chapter 11. It says in verse 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. It's funny, you know, people joke that like, you know, uh, Christians, all, all, we, all we do is like we, we gather, we have church, and we eat. And well, that's what Jesus did. Like, we're, re- we're reading this, like one chapter, he preached, and then he went he ate with somebody. And so he goes to the house of this Pharisee. He reclines at the table, but look at verse 38. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Now, some of you are just waiting for the next verse, but I'm, I'm slowing down because some of you, I just, I just destroyed your faith. When you read that Jesus didn't wash his hands before the meal, I realized some of you are questioning his messiahship. You're like, is he really sinless? Is, this, is he really the son of God? Could he, could he have not washed his hands and still been God? He didn't wash his hands. How many of you know the Bible says in John 1 that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. In other words, Jesus is the word of God. That means everything that Jesus says is the word of God. But because he is the word of God, it also means everything he does is the word of God. And so he is very purposeful. And I wanna assure you that when Jesus did not wash his hands before dinner, he did it, To make a point. But one of the points that we get from this passage is simply this. For people with a religious spirit, not even Jesus is clean enough for them. (laughs) Just think about that. Like Some of us, we, we get so consumed with trying you know, to keep up the appearance of, of what other people think of us. But just rest in, in, the, in the, the truth found in verse 38 here, of Luke 11. If, if you're dealing with somebody with a religious spirit, you're never going to be clean enough. Not even Jesus was clean enough, and they took notice. He didn't wash his hands. But look at verse 39. It says, when the Lord said to them, now then. In other words, now, now that you've seen this. Now that you've called me out, he said, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. So Jesus uses this illustration of a cup. He said, Here you are washing the outside, making it look good, but the part you drink out of, what matters most, is filthy. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm far less concerned with the outward appearance than I am with the condition of what's in your heart. That's what the primary concern is here. You know, I, this past Thursday, I, you know, I'm scrolling on social media and, and seeing everybody's posts and everybody's pictures, and you know, it's, it's beautiful. You see all the perfectly decorated tables, and, and, and you know, the, the perfectly carved bird is on the table, and, and then you got all the family photos, you know, families have never spent a day farming in their life, but they're all wearing plaid, and they're standing in front of a barn, you know, like the photo, it looks perfect, we all, we all have those moments, and and I look at all that, and I, you know, I love it. I'm heartened. I'm sending the likes. And, but the reality is this. You know, I know that, that not all of those homes feel like what the filter conveys. And some of those homes, Thursday night ended in arguments and frustration and anger and drunkenness. And for a lot of people, they got up early on Friday morning to, to go out, and it wasn't just about finding a good deal for Christmas shopping on Black Friday. For a lot of people, it was about, it was about easing the stress and, 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 and dulling their, their frustrations by going out to buy stuff they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't even like. And yet, what do we do? We do the same thing they did. We, we polish the outside of the cup So that we keep up the appearances of what's in the Joneses pantry. And Jesus looks at all that and he says, "I, I wanna invite you to a table of authenticity. And so Jesus sees this happening. And when he sees it, he responds, he says, Whoa! And when Jesus says, Whoa, he's not saying stop, he's not saying hold your horses. When Jesus says, Whoa, that's a curse. Like, that's a condemnation. Woe to you. And he doesn't just say it one time. When he sees this, cleansing of the outside of the cup and not dealing with the heart issues, he says six times in this chapter, woe. Look at it with me in verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all the other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. In other words, he said, you're so meticulous, you even tithe, not just on your, you tithe on every herb in your garden. Can you imagine? Like, they were so meticulous about keeping the tithe. He says, it's good. You shouldn't leave the former undone, but what you should do is the latter. You should love God. You should do justly. You should love mercy. Woe to you that you're bringing the tithe and you're not loving God, you're not loving your neighbor. Look at verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seat in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. He, he just calls them out. He said, you know what? You're, you're prideful and you're arrogant. When, when you look for the applause of people, when, when you look for people to greet you loudly and you always wanna sit in the most important seat, woe to you. Look at verse 44. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing. What a powerful picture. He said, said your life, you you that feign spirituality on the outside, but there's no substance. He said, he said, you're like an unmarked grave. Can you just imagine a, a grave? It's a holy place. It's a sacred place. It represents a life lived and lost. And yet people, when, they, when it's unmarked, they just walk all over it. They disregard it. They pay no attention to it. There's no reverence for anything that's sacred or holy because it's unmarked. And he says, that's you. He says that to those sitting at his table. And, and I think he would honestly say it to a lot of the churches in America today. He would say, those that, that walk by you, they are, they are unaffected by you. You're like an unmarked grave. All that you do, you do in this house. You don't do anything in the community. You have no impact on those around you. And so they have no recognition of what is sacred or what is holy. They just trample over you and around you. You're like an unmarked grave. Whoa. Then he says in verse 52, woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered in and you have hindered those who were entering. He said you've, t- you've taken away the key to knowledge. Now Jesus said I am the door. You got to enter through me. And all of the word of God points to Jesus as the Messiah. But he says to these religious leaders, you've taken away that key. Instead of letting the scriptures point to me, you've taken away the key. You don't come through the door, which is Jesus. And you don't let other people come through the door either. Woe to you. In fact, Jesus said it even stronger in Matthew's gospel. Jesus said, it would be better for you if a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to hinder someone from coming to me. That's strong. That's like mafia hitman language. Like, I'm going to tie a millstone around your neck and throw you in the ocean. He said, you'd be better off that way than to take the key of knowledge that gives people access into God's presence through his son. So, so Jesus, he invites us to this table this morning, church. He invites us to a table of authentic relationship. First of all, authentic relationship with him. An authentic relationship is one where you change from the inside out. You're not just, you're not just keeping up appearances. You're not just polishing the outside of the cup, but it's from the inside out, not, not a religious tomb that's just you know, filled with dead men's bones but a a new heart, a new life. Can I just remind all of us, this is the the promise that God gives us. When you come to God with your life, Ezekiel 36, 26, God says this, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. He he says, I'm gonna change who you are. I'm not talking about changing your personality. I know we're not all extroverts. We don't all wanna be the life of the party and some of us don't even wanna be at the party and some of us are exhausted thinking about the party and, and I recognize that, but, but Jesus says, no, 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 I want to invite you to a place of authenticity in your walk with me. I wanna invite you into a place of authenticity with the body of Christ. And it starts at a table of fellowship. It starts with being intentional about saying, look, I, I'm not just gonna, I'm not just gonna sleep, sneak in and just kind of observe Sunday and sneak back out. Like, as much as I have confidence and I put a lot of prayer and hope and expectation into what God can do in this moment, in this room, in this hour, I believe God wants to move in this moment. But I also have to acknowledge that not everything that God wants to accomplish in our lives can be accomplished in rows. Some of it has to be accomplished in circles, some of it has to be accomplished. In community, commands like galatians six two that says "Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ and so it starts at a table of fellowship. It starts with just spending time but but at some point it has to go deeper. It has to go beyond just sharing a meal and a and a surface level conversation to authenticity to really. Sharing your heart and your, your burden with other people and, and lifting other people's burdens. That's, that's why as a church, that's why, by the way, we make such a big deal about life groups. We try to encourage people to get into life groups, not, not because we're committed to a program, but because we're committed to the Word of God. And to be honest, New Testament church looked more like life group than like this. No, no stage in the first century. No lights. No, no public address system. Just God's people doing life together, breaking open the bread of life, sharing a meal, more likely sitting around a table than an altar. And God invites us in to community. The most compelling thing Jesus said about the church, he said, of all the things, this this is how the world's gonna know, by the way you love one another. That's what Jesus said in John 13, 35. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have incredible worship services, no. By this, everyone's gonna know that you're my disciples if you preach really powerful sermons, no. If you build elaborate cathedrals, no. He said they're gonna know you're my disciples because you love one another. So Jesus invites us to a table of authenticity. Uh, let's go to table number 6 for a few moments. Table 6 in Luke's Gospel is found in chapter 14. This is a table of honor. It says in verse 1, "One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully Watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus is so brilliant in how he poses this question. He, He really sets them up by using the phrase, is it lawful? Because he knew that... These religious experts were so triggered by what is lawful and what is not lawful that that that, that phrase kind of blinded them to all of the common sense reality of what was happening in the room in that moment in that moment in other words they weren't thinking about what's decent they weren't thinking about what's kind they weren't thinking about what might be good or moral they weren't answering the question the way that any of us would probably answer the question because he poised it in a way that, that said is it lawful so all they're thinking about is the law I mean, if if a man is suffering right in front of you, he's suffering, and you have the ability to help him in that moment. That's a softball question. I mean, that's easy. That's that's a layup. I mean, come on. Should should you help him? Yes. Yeah, you should do. If you can, you should help him. You should do the right thing. But yet, Jesus said, is it lawful? And, And by the way, we do the same thing today. We we get caught in, in this, we get caught in this tension of what is culturally acceptable, what, what, what aligns with my political values. That, that all of a sudden easy questions become really hard questions. Like, like for example, if, if I said, if I said to you, like, should we should we care about the foreigner among us? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a layup question. Yeah, we should, of course, we should care about the foreigner among us. I mean, you could even give me a, a verse of scripture. Deuteronomy 24, 17 says, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice. Like, yes, obviously, that's an easy one. But if I if I pose the question differently, like if I said, do you agree with Joe Biden that we should care for the foreigner among us? Some of you would be like, wait, wait a minute now, hold up. What are you trying to get me to say? I, I, let me think about it. I'm not really sure. All of a sudden, what was really clear in Scripture becomes tainted because if I, if I say this, what do you assume about me over here? If I say this, how do I align over there? And here's the problem. There's a man who's suffering from abnormal swelling of his body, and the Pharisees, the religious people, they see the law Jesus sees the suffering. He sees the suffering. It's so easy for us, for our perspective to get skewed. And so Jesus sees this and he invites them and he invites us to a table of honor. I used politics as an example and I recognize that's a slippery slope, man. Politics is hard, but my point is love is not that complicated. We complicate it when we miss the man suffering in front of us, when we miss the person suffering in front of us because we're too focused on on, on what it says about us. And that's that's really the premise here. Honor sees the person for who they are, not the agenda they represent. So Jesus asked them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Look at their answer, verse four. But they remained silent. Doesn't that describe a lot of the church today? Like, I, I'm, I'm not really sure what to say. I mean, if I say this, they're going to take me wrong. If I say that, they're going to, uh, you know, like, I, I, I don't really know what to say. And these are confusing times and there's, there's difficult issues and, and I'm not really sure what the truth is anymore. And so they remain silent. Meanwhile, the man suffering is standing there. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and he sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or even an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. And again, I think a lot of us will be in that place when we stand before God we try to parse out and nuance all of our inactivity and excuse it because of what seemed culturally acceptable or palatable, Jesus is going to say, if that was your kid, would you have helped them? And we'll have nothing to say. And so Jesus sees all this. And he has something to say about it. He's gonna teach them some table etiquette here. And, and the apostle Paul had something to say about it too, by the way, in Romans chapter 12, in verse nine and 10, Paul said this, he said, your love must be sincere. Like this this is just so clear. He says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. So, So when Jesus sees this, they're not, they're not seeing the suffering. They're worried more about their own honor than honoring the person who needs their help. And when Jesus saw that, he began to teach them about honor and putting others above yourself. Look at verse seven quickly. He says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, he said, do not take the place of honor For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend... Move up to a better place. One of the best feelings in the world is when somebody comes over to you at the kitty table and says, we have a seat for you in here. And they sit you at the head of the table. You're like, I've arrived. It's like my rite of passage. I'm grown now. I don't eat in there anymore. But the worst feeling in the world is when you think you're grown And mom and dad comes over and says, honey, we need you to sit in there. And you got to get up from your seat at the big table and take the walk of shame to the little table. With all your crazy little cousins and nieces and nephews. (laughs) That's what Jesus says. Hey, start there. (laughs) Start there so you're not humiliated. When somebody that's more honorable comes, Jesus says in verse 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humble. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, now he's rolling, he's, he's teaching at the table now. He says to the host of the dinner, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's, it's at the table that we learn etiquette. Isn't that how it is in your, in your house? You know, you, you, you learn what side the fork goes on and where the knife goes. And, and you, you learn not to put your elbows on the table and pass the rolls to the right, don't talk with your mouth full, don't dominate the conversation. Some of you are like, ooh, somebody should have told my family member about that rule, right? Like you, you learn etiquette at the table and, and, and all of those, those little rules, we understand that they're, they're just a, a microscopic view of some societal things we need to learn about honor and humility and about considering others before yourself. That's what Jesus is doing here at the dinner table. These are bigger principles that he's illustrating for us. And he invites us. He says, pull up a seat. Pull up a seat at my table. Learn of me. And I want to invite you today, as our musicians come, I want to invite you to to pull up a seat at one of the tables here in in Luke's diner. Pull up a seat at all of them. We've already seen that, that he offers us a table of acceptance and forgiveness. A table of provision. Now, today we we hear the invitation to fellowship and to authenticity. A table of honor. And here's the the good news. This is why you this is why you got dressed and came to church on Sunday morning. Here's the good news. There's room at the table for you. Like there's room at the table. For you. In fact, the story that Jesus just told, He He exemplifies like no other. In verse 13, when, when He said, Hey, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. In case you didn't know it, that's you. <laughs> that's me. All right, we, we don't we don't get the, the VIP seats, we don't get the preferential treatment because we were born in America or because maybe you were raised in a Christian home or or, or because you grew up going to Sunday school. No, no, no. No. We are the blind, the cripple, and the lame that get invited to the table. And he says, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And I can assure you, none of us can repay him for the invitation. And yet, here we are. There's room for you. There's room for me. We have a seat at his table. And at the resurrection of the righteous, I assure you, the lamb will receive his reward for his generosity. And so today, I've I've given you a lot. I wanna invite you in these closing moments to just just slow down for a moment. Maybe even wanna just close your eyes as we get ready to pray. And I wanna invite you to just receive the invitation today of the Holy Spirit. Receive the invitation of Jesus. He wants to invite you into fellowship. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you you feel like you're you're meeting Jesus coming and going at the church door. And, and the week's just blowing by. And maybe there's a lot of things you could say you do for Jesus, but but you're not doing the one thing. And he would say to you this morning, Mary has chosen well, and it will not be taken from her. And and can I just encourage you today, if you feel like you know you're you're just kind of brushing shoulders with Jesus, coming and going, he invites you to sit at his table, to sit at his feet to receive from him, to abide with him, to have fellowship with him. He welcomes you and he says, there's nothing in the world you could do for me that's more important than being with me. He invites you today to choose the one thing. Draw near to him today. Draw near to his presence. He invites us today to a table of authenticity. And right now, as, as we just are in kind of a contemplative moment of prayer, can I encourage some of you to receive that invitation? I mean, it's exhausting to keep scrubbing the outside of the cup when you know there are things in your heart that are not right between you and God. Try to keep up that pace of of living, of living for the likes, of living for the outward approval. He invites us to go deeper. He wants to wash you from the inside out. He wants to renew your heart. He wants to take your heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh. Let your mind be renewed in Christ Jesus. It's not by adding works. It's not by doing more. It's by receiving. It's by opening your heart and your life up to him. Say, God, would you do the supernatural, miraculous work of creating in me a clean heart, a renewed and a steadfast spirit And God, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. In this moment, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? Cleanse me from the inside out, Lord. And God, I pray that each of us today would, Lord, that we'd come to the table of honor. that we would begin to see people the way you see them. Not right or left, but lost or found, living or dead. God, help us to, to see people the way you saw that man who was suffering with a swollen body. Your heart was moved with compassion. God, help us to be a people that that live our life in such a way that we would be more concerned and consumed with the needs of others than our own. That we would take the lower seat and trust that those who humble themselves in the sight of the Lord will be exalted God, thank you for inviting us today to your table. I thank you that in spite of our failures and our mistakes, there's still a seat with our name on it. And it's in your matchless name that we pray today. And all God's people said amen. Amen. If you just love the Lord and his word, let's give him praise. Can we do that? God, we just give you praise today for all you're doing. Amen. I want to invite you if you'd stand with us all over this room as, as we get ready to end the service today our prayer team is going to just begin to move into the aisles in the front of the room here and in the center section and Kayla's going to just lift up this song again that says here I am to worship in these closing moments this is the invitation to authenticity uh, this prayer team is in place because we we would We would love to just partner with you. We want to obey the word of God that says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But here's what we know. We can't bear what you don't share. And so that this prayer team is, is here just to minister to you. I want to ask all of us, whether you're moving to the altar or not, can we just close by just lifting up this song right here at the end of this month of thanksgiving? To say, God, we worship you. You're so good. Thank you for a seat at your table today. Lord, we live to give you praise. We honor you. Can we lift up this song together? These these altars are open for prayer if you want to come.